And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. This is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your hosts, Michael Campbell and Greg Howell. Welcome to another episode. I'm your co-host, Michael Campbell. I'm joined by Greg Howell, and uh, we've got our special guests, uh, Matthew Lucio, Adventist History Podcast fame, and Dr. Judd Lake, a beloved professor from Southern. We won't say how many years, but uh, <laughs> uh, we're delighted. That we can be here together, and uh, he's yeah. so, he's showing us zero years. I think it's, I think like the odometer rolled over. I think okay. I saw forty years, forty years. <laughs> All right, we, we we just won't go there, but uh, yeah, we we just did. But but anyways, we're just uh, delighted, and we've been going through a series, this third part in a series where we've been looking at um, some of these historical kind of, I guess you could say, um, accusations that have been alleged against Adventism um, are Adventists. Uh, you know, what, what do Adventists believe in terms of our history? And, and I know, uh, Dr. Lake, you've done uh, a couple of bonus episodes through your podcast. So we're kind of on a journey and we want to look at some of these topics and issues and try to unpack them a little bit. Is there more to the story, the rest of the story, and uh, to try to give a little bit more of a broader context um, as, as people who study Adventist history and uh, as people that uh, work for the church in various capacities, teaching, pastoring, and what have you, that uh, these are opportunities to just dig a little deeper. That's what Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast is all about, digging a little bit deeper uh, into some of the story. So, Matthew, we've got a couple of clips, and then we're going to kind of dive in and talk about them uh, and and try to unpack them for you. Yeah, just as a reminder for our listeners, we are taking some clips from an interview two former Adventists did on a podcast called Cultish. And as uh, Michael alluded to, we've done two previous episodes on that. If you haven't heard them, you might want to go give them a listen. It's not required, but it'll help make a little bit more sense uh, of what's going on. But anyways, we're pulling some clips from that interview that they gave. They're trying to explain, these former Adventists are trying to explain Adventism to these hosts of the Cultish podcast, and uh, we're, we're just responding to them. So listen to this clip, then we've got some thoughts on it. The true uh, movers and shakers were James White, Ellen's husband, who had an entrepreneurial gift, and his friend, Joseph Bates. Joseph Bates and James White came out of the movement called the Christian Connection. They became Millerites as people in the Christian Connection. And the Christian Connection is distinct, and I name that especially because it was staunchly anti-Trinitarian, as were Joseph Bates and James White. So everything that developed was developed around that anti-Trinitarian stance. The founders were anti-Trinitarian and Arian or semi-Arian, Ellen White was perhaps the exception because she was raised Methodist, but I, had, I think she had no real theological convictions. She was more moved by the visions that she started having as a teenager. Mm -hmm. So this anti-Trinitarianism is what actually set the foundation for Adventism. And everything that grew out of it grew out of that. And that means that Adventism's physicalism that humans have no spirit separate from the body, that God has a body. They don't tell you that, but internally they all know it. 
they they have the idea that God has a body. Those things alter how people believe about sin, about salvation, about the nature of Christ, about what made him sinless. Was he sinless or not? Adventism could never come to a consensus on that because Ellen White couldn't because she didn't know how to explain it. Right. So everything about the way Adventism sees reality is shifted because they don't believe in spirit and they don't believe that God is truly triune in spite of the fact that they have a sort of Trinitarian statement now. They've fixed that up to be publicly acceptable, but underneath it, they do not believe that the three persons of the Trinity share substance, and they still teach that Jesus is not omnipresent because he has a body. That makes him not God. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Mm. (laughs) Amazing. Absolutely amazing. There's a lot in that statement. There is a lot in that statement. That's that's what makes it so difficult because you just get bombarded by, yeah, by, by claim after claim after claim after claim. None of these, I will remind our listeners, were actually backed up with anything. You guys can go listen mm-hmm. to the Cultish podcast episode, get watch the whole thing. There, there's no real proof of this. So maybe we can start, guys, at the top. Were Adventist pioneers anti-Trinitarian? She mentions that Joseph Bates and James White both came out of the Christian connection. Uh, is there some truth there? What's going on with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great question. I'm going to dive in right there first at the beginning, because this whole Christian connection thing, I think you have to understand what is a Christian connection. Christian connection wasn't like a formal denomination. That's not like Methodism, which was actually still loosely connected, but it still had some structure or Presbyterianism, which was highly structured, right? So Christian connection was actually against church organization. So it's a loose affiliation of people and the pulse of the early 19th century was restore the purity of the, the early Christian church. So um, this is a loose connection of, of Christians, the um, Elias Smith and Abner Jones and others were probably some of the more visible advocates of this. But, but the idea of studying the Bible, restoring to the primitive purity of the church within that larger milieu of, of Christians, of restorationist Christians, Christian connection is another term uh, for these restorationists. I mean, there's a lot of different names. They didn't like names. They didn't like organization because as soon as you did that, then you were Babylon because you were Mm. becoming established. You're becoming organized. And so that's why a lot of these churches didn't last very long. um, And they were very loosely affiliated with each other, mostly through periodicals and sharing of ideas. Um, And because it was such a broad and uh, diverse group, a very fluid kind of group, you're going to have, of course, uh, people that were resistant to notions of the Trinity for the same reason that James and Ellen White and others were hesitant to use the term Trinity because of its Catholic associations. And there were some, there were some uh, in the Christian connection that were very, had especially had questions about the origin of Christ and stuff like that. But it's hard to give in one blanket statement as if, you know, uh, it was a disease that somehow James mm-hmm. and Joseph Bates caught and therefore was contagious and contaminated early Sabbatarian Adventism. That doesn't do justice to the movement, the broader movement or the religious landscape. You know, it was a, it was a time of a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of questioning, you know, how do we go back? And and so in America was an experiment at that time, too. Right. A, a, a democratic experiment. Will it will it succeed? You know. Um, in the early 19th century, it wasn't quite as sure. People weren't as sure um, as maybe we are now uh, and in terms of we can look back with hindsight, but, but they're still trying to figure this all out, both uh, politically as well as 
religiously, socially, and a lot of different um, kinds of things. Um, certainly, there was anti-Trinitarianism, but it's it's not a it was not a a given. And the other thing I just want to start off with is that Ellen White had no theological beliefs of her own, kind of. So James <laughs> and Joseph Bates have they're obviously very influenced, but but then Ellen suddenly, you know, uh, pure Ellen just you know is naive and doesn't have any beliefs or background in her Methodist background, I think is very significant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with that, I, and that's another part is the Wesleyan Arminian background that came through Ellen White, mm -hmm. a number of Millerite ministers that became uh, Seventh-day Adventist. It was, it was the Wesleyan Arminian. The Reformation was a root. The, and as you mentioned, the Christian connection was a part of the larger restoration movement, but she said staunchly anti-Trinitarian. And, um, yeah. you know, you, uh, Michael, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the leaders of the uh, Christian connection movement, they were more semi-Aryans than full. Yeah. We'd uh, probably, that's how we probably characterize them today. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I, not a, full uh, Aryan, but semi-Aryan. Right. Sure. And, mm -hmm. and even that was a shift, right? There was a sense in the 1870s, guys like White, James White, Uriah Smith, they had an anti-Trinity sense of things james even was quoted as calling it the inexplicable trinity but mm -hmm. by the mid 1870s smith is starting to write quite differently um he's shifting yeah. towards a more of a, a sense that jesus is begotten rather than you know is the created being um it it did not i i, I don't see a history of anti-trinitarianism in adventism anyway being a staunch we've always thought this and we've continued to think this Therefore, now all of our doctrines flow from that. That's yeah. that. That, that yeah. doesn't reflect what actually happens in our theology. I, I think you're talking thing. about. Oh, go ahead, yeah. Michael. Well, just really quick. Uh, you know, early Adventist ministers. I went back and counted them up. Okay, so depending on the cutoff, you know, the first eighty or so early Sabbatarian Adventist ministers that formed the Seventh Day Adventist Church from the first couple of decades, about one third are Baptist, one third are Methodist, and about one third are Christian Connection and a host of other different denominations. Mm -hmm. Actually, Christian mm -hmm. Connection is one of the smallest influences, but obviously it's influential through James White and Joseph Bates. So we just have to look at that. There was a broad smorgasbord of influence, um, but actually Baptist and Methodist um, have probably the most significant substantial in terms of the, the shaping of theology and those early Adventist pastors. But back to you, Matthew. Yeah, thank you. Good point. I think, you know, I think we're, we're, what we're doing here is we're acknowledging there were some there was some semi-Arianism in early Adventism. I, I, you can't deny that. Definitely. Yeah. I think what we what we have a problem with, what I have a problem with is the is the insinuation that this was, as as Colleen put it, foundational, that everything that grew out of Adventism grew out of this. And you know, I think today we, we probably expect that it should work that way, but it, it I mean, it, it really isn't connected to anything else that, that, you know, it's not connected to the Sabbath. It's not connected to the state of the dead. It's not connected to Adventist views on hell. I mean, like, so this semi-Arianism for those Adventists who were semi-Arian, you know, you would expect that there'd be a big fight about this fairly early on. You know, are we a Trinitarian church or not? And and there really wasn't. There was a gradual kind of growing out of that semi-Arianism in, into what we have today, which uh, the church is overwhelmingly Trinitarian. Yeah, but but I, it, it wasn't foundational. So I I kind of want to ask her, in what way is everything that Adventism is today somehow rooted in that semi-Arian period where where some Adventists were indeed semi-Arian? I I don't see it. I don't understand how it could be so. 
Well, I, she's going to answer. She would answer. Uh, I would think she would answer quite straightforwardly. It's the, this physicality of God. Yeah, that she mentioned. I'm sure, we'll get to that in just a second. They're connecting that to the Trinity yeah. and so forth. Yeah, so just there's, yeah. I'll there's wait. a quote from James White in 1876. He publishes it in the Review and Herald, an article called "The Two Bodies," and he says. Seventh-day Adventists hold the divinity of Christ so nearly with the Trinitarians that we apprehend no trial here. Interesting. If it was such a huge mm, mm, difference mm. of opinion, why isn't White, as a staunch anti-Trinitarian, supposedly, trumpeting the total opposite of this statement? I yeah. mean, it, it, it's, it, it's not what we're claiming, and it doesn't seem to be an argument that we even felt was necessary to have. Right. And that's 1876. Yeah. So, Judd, you're bringing up the physicality of God, because she does mention that. She, she says Adventism's physicalism. We don't have a quote for every claim that was made in this interview, but you want to explain what did she yeah. mean by that? Yeah. This is a new one, you were telling me. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's a new creative approach that uh, I've never heard heard them use before. Um, it, it, as I go through this, then I want to lead and get us back into the Trinity. Because I think there's a number of things that we mm-hmm. need to, to really set forth about that because we're accused of being still to this day, we don't believe in the Trinity. That's what she said. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is more of a background to that. But she is really capitalizing on this physicality of God. Uh, I think that's her discovery among some others. And I've been, as you listen to the proclamation website and the presentations, I mean, the, the what the clip we heard was really a compilation of many things and presentations that they've made about this. And she and others have been writing on this and, and so forth. And, and uh, the physicality of God, this is basically a response to the Adventist uh, perspective on biblical holism, that man is a whole person, not a separate body and spirit. And so they are saying that we, we believe that, that, we're totally physical beings. We're holistic because we're saying God is a physical being. And they go back to a state, to a little pamphlet uh, writing uh, essay that James White wrote, where he says, God has a body and parts. And Uriah Smith wrote about that as well. And some of his things about immortality of the soul, that God is like flesh. And then they cast that as we're saying God is flesh and blood. And mm. that means and the implications of that are, well, he's part of the created universe since God is physical. And so they go on with all these implications. I'll get into some of that here in a moment. Uh, but they also, uh, in saying that, the basic starting point is a statement Ellen White made about the Father. And this is in Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, page 74. She says, I've often seen the lovely Jesus, that he is a person. I asked him if his father was a person and had a form like himself. Said Jesus, I am the express image of my father's person. I've often seen that the spiritual view took away the glory of heaven and that in many minds the throne of David and the throne of the lovely person of Jesus had been burned up in the fire of spiritualism. And of course, they make fun of the fact that, well, Adventists are so scared of spiritualism, they want to make God totally physical. But what I will argue is that that actually is a platonic presupposition that's been inserted here uh, behind the whole immortal soulism. That's a position Adventists have taken, that that's a foreign presupposition to Scripture, that uh, 
man has a immortal soul that that survives beyond the body. Uh, you read Plato, and I've taught philosophy for years in Plato, and it's very clear about that. And Plato diminishes the physical and emphasizes the spiritual. The world of the forms is the where the spiritual realities are, and that's true reality. And down here are the particulars, the physical, and that's not really real. It's very interesting. Keep that in the background as I go through this. But there, they, of course, for them, they believe in immortal soulism, which is many Christians do. And this is this is a, a very creative way of coming after Adventist on this mm. uh, and saying this is the foundation of our teaching. And the implications of this are uh, for the Trinity, for example, which we'll get into in a little bit, it would lead towards tritheism. Because if God is a mm -hmm. physical being, how can he be one and separate mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. forth? So that you can see how they would really take this and, and run with it. Uh, but in Ellen White's vision and James White, the background is in all the creeds, God was presented as, as total spirit, an abstract principle. But for them, and you read what Ellen White is saying there, Jesus is a person that you can relate to. The Father is a person you can relate to. Ellen White never used some of the exact language that her husband and Uriah Smith did that God has flesh and blood, God has parts, not at all. And by in, in saying that, none of us are saying that God is so physical that he's limited, that he's part of the creation. Uh, whatever form he has, if Ellen White is right, um, then it's, it's clearly separate from the creation. He's, he's God uh, for whatever form he has. He's the deity. He's, inhabits eternity anyway. So they emphasize Jesus' statement to the woman at the well. Remember in John 4, yeah, God is spirit. God mm -hmm. is spirit. And they're they, they, they go to the opposite extreme of physicality of God and say, God is total spirit. And they take that and say, well, there's, uh, and they were making fun of the Orion idea, you know, and Jesus coming back to the mm -hmm. gate of Orion, that heaven is not a physical place. It's that there's no real place, no real sanctuary. It's all spiritual. And so yeah. they kind of take the opposite, total opposite position. And the argument uh, for this about the, the human spirit is in Genesis 3.17, uh, where it, it states from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, Adam and Eve didn't die after they ate the forbidden fruit, but it says they will die. So they yeah. died spiritually. And they, and they argue that Adventists missed the point that man has this spiritual nature that will live beyond the body, but it's spiritual. And Adventists don't believe in the spiritual nature of human beings. And yeah, that's so what I want to stop you there because yeah. that that to me was an astounding claim that 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 Adventists don't believe that we have a spiritual component to ours. Yeah, it's it's what? quite amazing. Yeah, and 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 I let me draw some implications from this, and, and you'll uh -huh. find this interesting in springboard from discussion. But then I want to go to Genesis one as well and look at some interest and respond to that. But um, of course, I've already said the Trinity. That means tritheism because if the Father is a physical being, he can't be everywhere at once and the spirit separate. And it, just, it and of course we know we do not adhere to tritheism. 
Um, but we'll get right. into that in a moment. And then there's no heavenly sanctuary because they're saying that's where they say it's the foundation because if God is physical, he's in a physical place. Well, that adds to the Adventist teaching of the heavenly sanctuary and the cleansing of the sanctuary. It's a literal place and literal blood and all of this. So they take those things to an extreme. And what was most interesting is in Fundamental Beliefs, uh, this, this book, The Exposition, page 94, where it's talking about the nature of man. They, uh, and, and this is in their discussion on the, the cultish interview, but they really capitalize on this. No, this is not on the cultish interview. Excuse me. This is in another presentation, a podcast that, that Nikki and Colleen made about the nature of man. So they really capitalize on this statement. It's related to the cultish interview. They say, and this is quoted on page 94 in uh, Fundamental Beliefs on the Nature of Man. Similarly, a new soul comes into existence whenever a child is born. Each soul being a new unit of life, uniquely different from and separate from the other similar units. And of course, they, they, they poke fun at the, the units. We're all units of life. In some ways, I don't mm -hmm. really blame them. I'm not crazy about that language myself. But the point here is a new soul comes into existence whenever a child is born. And so they interpret that as the Adventists believe that a baby is not a full human being until the baby is birthed and takes its first breath. Mm. And then, and that's the background for our practice of abortion because uh -oh. we don't believe a baby is a full human being at conception is only a full human being at birth. And Hold so on. from this physicality of, of God and human beings, they draw this, this abortion from it. Uh -huh. Now, Michael and Matthew, you, you know, do we, well, what's our stance on abortion? <laughs> well, you just go to the general conference webpage and you can find, just Google it and you'll find the official statement by the church on abortion. But, but basically, unless the life of the mother is like in some kind of grave jeopardy, um, um, Adventists uh, try to uh, value the life of the infant, uh, the pre-born infant, as much as possible. So obviously it's a complicated issue. There's even a lot of politics about it, but, but Adventists generally are not, I mean, it, I mean, there's always exceptions, but, but generally are not trying to encourage um, abortions. Um, certainly not, not, uh, not as, you know, that's the, not we don't try to to do that if if, if at all possible I, I, is that fair to say matthew greg I, uh, I think it's fair i think that if we're talking about it in terms of what we actually believe now um mm -hmm. yeah i i think our theology has developed itself over time and using some of these statements in the past to say that that's normative for our theological foundation that's that's a really hard ask no, no one particular article in a review and Herald from way back then suddenly created, you know, our, our huge stance on all these other issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and perhaps some Adventist hospitals have been inconsistent with that. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that, that of course the, the uh, proclamation group, they claim that abortions are taking place and, and so forth. But that, but that's well, not my understanding. That's not the church's stance. It's, and it's tightened it up in just recent, the last year, Eckhart Muller, a scholar from the Biblical Research Institute, just wrote a little BRI pamphlet, pamphlet, biblical research pamphlet about abortionism and makes the case, the biblical case, extremely clear that life begins at conception. 
human life. And human life, yes, human life begins at conception. And uh, for abortion is categorically wrong with a few exceptions, as you were describing, uh, Michael. But, but the emphasis is that whatever the case may be, whether it's done in a right or a wrong manner, abortion, uh, the church should be there to support people. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah. if, if we're going to encourage people to have babies, then we need to be consistent and be there to envelop them and help them when they have that baby. Yes. If it's a circumstance that's really problematic, we need to envelop them with love and care and help. And so the pamphlet is very consistent with that. So this idea that, well, first of all, whatever, that, that we would practice abortion, that don't believe a baby is a baby until it takes the first breath after coming out of the birth canal is just ridiculous. That's not an Adventist understanding. And uh, this, this, the, the, the pamphlet that argues very biblically and carefully that, that we believe life, human life begins at conception is very clear. And so that is not a correct implication that one can yeah. draw at all. Well, it just sounds like they're taking this particular statement, they're interpreting it as God has some kind of physical body, and then they're just extrapolating in every in every direction, just kind of like taking good, good it, word. taking it to its extremes. Well, that must mean that Adventists are okay with abortion because, right, the, the baby isn't, uh, as you put it, isn't a human being until it's born. Or and that must mean that they don't have a spiritual nature and all these things. But it just it makes no sense when you actually read what Avenus have written. <laughs> that mm-hmm. that's the thing. Yes. You know, there's a lot of things where you think, well, I can just take this to its logical conclusion. But but not everybody goes that far. Like it's not about what you think could be done with this idea. It's about whether Avenus actually believe it or not. And I think it's it's pretty clear that we we do believe we have a spiritual nature. Um, we we do believe. That we 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 you know you mentioned the statements on abortion. There's there's one on the GC website. Michael pointed this to, and it says very clearly. Point number two: God considers the unborn child as human life. I what you know. So that this goes back to what we talked about in the last episode with deception. When you claim that well, you can never believe what Avenus say because they're always trying to deceive you. I I guess then who do we believe? Because we're we're we're, we're quoting from official statements. We're quoting from our own or reciting our own experience in Adventism. And we're trying to tell y'all, this is what we actually believe. And as mm-hmm. always, we're 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 telling you if you're if you're not Adventist, you're listening, go check these things out yourself. Go Google the abortion statement. You can look up some of these things Dr. Lake is talking go. about. He's he you can just go back and replay them and you can just Google phrases and things. We're gonna put some things in the show notes for you guys to to check out as well. But I do wanna continue on with this anti-trinitarianism thing for a second we, we talked about the physicalism the idea that god has a body and, and this is this strange idea that they've come up with lately can i can i give some scriptural quick, quick scriptural response either now or later of, to, to this physicality issue sure go ahead real that quick needs to be said can I do that now yep. okay uh well genesis 126 and, and they they make this argument that the image of god you know genesis 126 then god said uh, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and so forth. And their argument is that the image of God is total, only spiritual. Uh, uh, that's consistent with their position. And they argue saying that the Adventists say that it's physical. You know, the image of God is physical. What's interesting is you look at the, the Hebrew words there uh, for image, shalim, and likeness, demut. Um, they're 
the, the image is used consistently for physical idols um, and uh, demut likeness is more the immaterial side. But what's clear is this is, there's nothing separate or divided here. This is the whole person. And uh, you read what scholars are saying about this. And um, I mean, may, like the word biblical commentary, think of the classic Gerhard von Rod. Uh, these are famous Old Testament scholars. They are saying about this statement that the image of God is not just one thing or another. It's not just the physical aspect. It's not just the immaterial spiritual aspect. It's both. They, all, they say if you emphasize one above the other, that's incorrect. But to look at it collectively, holistically, the physical side, the physicality of the image of God is a part of it. Not all of it, not the major part, but it's a part of the image of God. And uh, that's not just Adventists that are making that point. Uh, so, so there is some scriptural precedent for our position that God has some type of form, but again, it's it's a form of God. God is God. Uh, God is complex, and and we can't speculate about the nature of His being, except that that it's it's above our our comprehension. And uh, then on verse in chapter two, verse seventeen, where this is where the the key verse, as I listened that. That uh, Colleen uses, Colleen Tinker uses, and others use to say that man has a spiritual nature and to describe spiritual death. You know, for the uh, two seventeen in Genesis, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. And then they argue against Ellen White by saying death began slowly. It was a process. But you look at the Hebrew and the statement, uh, you will surely die, is a legal statement that shows up later in the Old Testament. It's used repeatedly for, a, it's a declaration, uh, a condemnation that death will occur. It will eventually occur. You, in other words, you're still living, but you're essentially dead. And, uh, and most commentaries, I, I read, I mean, a host of Old Testament commentaries, uh, the heavier exegetical commentaries, and there's a significant, some of the major commentaries are, are in agreement that this death began, but didn't reach its actual physical termination until later for Adam and Eve. And so uh, the idea that they died spiritually is just not in the minds of Hebrew scholars who understand the Hebraic way of thinking, the holistic way of thinking. So, so in other words, there, there, is, there is a precedent for what we believe, but I think what is strongest here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go faster, you guys. I don't want to take too long. Um, I don't want to get in trouble by the boss. Uh, first, First Corinthians 15, because because they see I'm used to doing these solo type things. I'm just getting into the podcasting, and 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 Michael was telling me, you know, and Matthew, this is a conversation, not a monologue. I got it, and I'm gonna hurry up so we can have keep having a conversation. But you go to 1 Corinthians 15, and, and, and an accusation is made that Adventists, because we believe in, don't believe in an immortal soul, that when you die, we believe like the atheist. You're gone, you know? But the breath goes back to God. The, the, the Hebrew there, that the idea is that the, the spark of life goes back to God. God still has a memory of his people, and he holds that 
in his heart or wherever until the resurrection. Life doesn't come until the resurrection. And that is so clear in 1 Corinthians 15. We Adventists talk about the state of the dead. It's really the state of the resurrection. And Paul argues here about the, I won't get into all of the context, but this is part of the gospel he describes in verses three and four. And he's, he's describing what the resurrection body is going to be like. And he comes to the consummation of his argument here. And he's doing that for a reason. I don't want to take time to get into the context, but verse 44, he says, it is sown because he's contrasting our bodies now with the resurrected body. He says, our physical, physical bodies now, it's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And by spiritual body, he means a spirit-filled, actual, real body. That is, life eternal is not going to be some disembodied spirit floating on clouds. As they say, it's, it's going to be a real life experience. Um, so the idea that there's some immortal soul that's going to be floating around and then reinserted with the body, you just don't find that in scripture at all. It's platonic dualism versus biblical holism. And if you read scripture carefully, Adventists understand it to teach biblical holism. And that does not make God a total physical being, but there's some aspect there. Um, but this idea that the immortal soul lives on, I mean, that comes right out of Plato. So, and the extreme that these guys are taking it, they're really taking it to a, in a platonic direction which we would believe is foreign to scripture. So, and, and also just a little bit more on the, and I'm, I'm gonna wrap it up here on the physical side of, of God. Um, you know, you have in scripture, these anthropomorphisms, God, his righteous right arm and the breath of God and the eyes of God, his eyes of God. These are anthropomorphisms. God doesn't, they're not saying he has eyes and exactly like that, uh, hands, feet, and so forth. But you do find, so those are, again, anthropomorphisms, anthropomorphisms, which are taking human characteristics and applying it to a deity. That's what anthropomorphisms are, being anthropomorphic. But it's very clear in scripture that God is localized in places, like on a throne. The numerous places, he, Isaiah 6, 1, Ezekiel 126, and Daniel 7, 9 through 10, God is on a throne. And so there's, God is localized. That's not just an anthropomorphism when he's on the throne. So there's some aspects in scripture where God can be localized. My point is, is that Adventists are not totally far off by saying that there is some physical aspect to God. But here on this thing about the resurrection, um, for us, Maybe we don't believe in the immortal soulism, but it's cast as being non-Christian. Our hope is in the New Testament hope, the resurrection. Christ is the first fruits, as Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ is the first fruits. And then we come, our resurrection, as based on his resurrection. That's hope. That's what all the believers asleep in Christ are awaiting, is the resurrection. That's Christian. You may not agree with our immortal, our idea of biblical holism, but it certainly is Christian. To cast it as non-Christian is what is so unfair. And one final word, I just thought about this, sorry, Matthew. The heart, we, this, we do believe in the spiritual nature, but it, that's the biblical concept of the heart. 
And the heart is not like we say today, the, the head, the intellect, the heart, the emotions, the biblical concept of heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the seed of spiritual activity. That's the intellect, the thoughts, that's the emotions, that's the volition, the choosing, the decisions, the inner person. That's where God meets us. That's where our spirituality is, but it's a part of the whole person. But there's no question that we believe in the spiritual side of human beings. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. You feel better now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved. <laughs> I got that got that off my chest. You know, here, and I want to reiterate something that you said. We're we're not expecting if you're if you're listening, you're not an Adventist. We're not expecting you to be persuaded by this, but we want you to understand. Right. We want you to understand how we're reasoning in arriving at the conclusions yes. that we're arriving at. You saw Doctor Lake there wrestling with the biblical text. This is not something where Adventists just sat around and said, "I'm we're too lazy to read the Bible." Ellen, let, you have a vision and tell us what to believe. You know, I think there's this there's there's a degree of slander out there uh, with this accusation that we just kind of got everything from Ellen White, and that we just the, the Bible is just kind of a fig leaf for us that we just pretend to be sola scriptura Christians, and we're really getting everything from Ellen White. And, and undoubtedly, Ellen White was hugely influential, influential, especially in the formation of Adventist culture. That's where I think she she really made an impact in terms of, uh, you know, in, just in terms of the the, the kind of uh, the, the rationalism in Adventism, the the things we do and don't do. She was very influential there, but it's it's not so much theologically. Are there some interpretations of the Bible that Adventists pull from Ellen White? or who are, are influenced by Ellen White. And, and, you know, sure, she helped us kind of, we, you know, the, the idea of the Sunday law, I think, is something you can find in the Bible. I know I'm going a little bit off field here, but the particulars of it, yes, Ellen White did contribute to that, right? But the main idea mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. you can find in Revelation 13. Um, but like I said, it's not that you have to agree with the Adventist interpretation on everything. It's just to understand that we're reasoning from the scriptures here as, as our Excellent source point. for what we believe. Mm. Absolutely. Yes, that's that's the point. That is the point. Thank you. So, you know, returning to that clip we played about an hour ago about anti-Trinitarianism in Adventism, um, you know, she Colleen concludes by saying everything about the way Adventism sees reality is shifted because they don't believe in spirit and they don't believe God is truly triune. They don't believe Jesus is God. That, that's just what she's saying. And all of that is just false. I mean, all of it is just so false. false. I, I don't know what else to say about it. We we absolutely do believe Jesus is God. It's in our fundamental beliefs. It's the way I've always been raised as an Adventist. It's the way I'm sure you guys are going to say you've been raised as an Adventist. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. It's 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 like that old trap where you say, um, Michael, when did you stop beating your wife? You know, where it's kind of like, <laughs> I, where is this this question? It's, it's yeah. just... Where is that even coming from? I, I don't mm -hmm. understand because it's not the Adventism I grew up with. Now, I want to move us along a little bit here. We've we've got one other clip from them that we want to play. It's related to this first one. This is a this is the, the physicality of God, as Doctor Lake pointed out, is a relatively new claim. Uh, but this next one, not so new. This one's been around for a little while. Here it is. Because of Ellen White's teaching on the investigative judgment, Adventism had always believed, and I have to say still does, officially teach that Christ's 
atonement was not completed on the cross. So how were they going to convince Walter Martin that they were Orthodox? Well, they they used a clever way of defining it. They said that Jesus's death was the sacrificial provision provided, but that he applies it in heaven. And they worded it in a way so that Christians would think, well, sure, Jesus is our high priest in heaven. So everything he accomplished is being mediated for us as believers. That's how they understood it. They worded it so that Walter Martin would see it that way. In reality, they were hiding the fact that in that they didn't believe that the entire atonement was completed at the cross because Adventists do not believe that when you, quotes accept Jesus, and I say that in quotes because for them, it's a different thing from trusting and being born again. But they taught that when you accepted Jesus, then all your past sins were forgiven, but all your future sins had to be individually confessed and forgiven because of Jesus applying his blood in heaven. But they couldn't say that to Walter Martin because that's clearly heretical. Yeah. It is heretical. <laughs> well, there we agree. <laughs> and some, and agree. some Adventists, some Adventists <clears throat> believe that and still yep. do. Yep. That's but that's not, true. that doesn't that's represent not the major teaching of the church. Exactly. It doesn't represent Adventism that I know or what I like to describe as Adventism at its best. Now, look, guys, mm -hmm. I'll, because, I'll, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Finish your statement. Oh, I was just going to say Adventists do fully believe in the complete atonement of Jesus Christ yeah. yes. on the cross of Calvary. So I, let's just put that out there. Put it out there. Put yeah. it out and there. so did Ellen White. Yeah. So Definitely. listen up, guys. I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be a little bit contrary in this point because I did just hear an Avenist do a debate with a former Avenist, and the former Avenist pushed the Avenist to say, and he said it. I mean, I shouldn't say pushed, but you know, he said, Is this what you believe? And the the, the Avenist said, Yes, it was not completed at the cross. And so I do think there is an element here where we have not been as clear as, as we That's ought to true. have been, especially pre-1950. And yeah. I, I'm going to explain this just very briefly. The reason why you, you think if you're a non-Avenist, you're just a, a evangelical or otherwise, you're like, this should be a really easy thing to say. The answer is yes. Just say yes. Why is this a hard thing? And in the short answer of that, the short answer to that question is because Avenists are trying to study the, the 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 sanctuary system the the uh, the Israelite cult is a, a more technical term and and you see how Jesus fulfilled certain feasts we have feasts like Pentecost we have feasts like Passover and I think most Christians today are very aware of the fact that Jesus kind of fulfilled Passover when he died on the cross Pentecost happened some weeks later da 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 but what they often don't realize is that there's these fall feasts in the year as well and one of them is the Day of Atonement it's called the Day of Atonement. All right, so if if our salvation trajectory is following the path that God outlined in these feasts, we're not saying you need to keep the feast. Let me be clear about that. But just that God is kind of outlining from fall to 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 a new heavens and a new earth through these yearly feasts that the Israelites had to go through, what it would take to bring them home. Then then we have these fall feasts too, right? That things are going to be happening. And it being called the Day of Atonement meant that that Passover sacrifice was not the end of the year. There was this day of 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 at one minute with God that we have to go through. So Adventists looking at that were like, yes, Passover, when Jesus died, like he he took our sins away from us. He bore our sins and died with them and for us. And that was absolutely 
complete. Ellen White uses the word complete, by the way. She says that, yeah, yeah she says, I'm she gonna says, quote that in a minute. Yeah, she says, Christ made a full atonement, giving his life as a ransom for, for us. That's what she said. The reason why Adventists are sometimes muddle that up is because we're looking at the Day of Atonement and saying, yeah, but in the Israelite economy, sin wasn't fully done away with. We had to have that scapegoat on the Day of mm -hmm. Atonement be mm -hmm. led out to the wilderness, right? Carrying the sins away from the sanctuary to die alone. And that's when sin was finally removed, like completely removed from Israel. The Passover sacrifice removes the sins from the sinner. And it's taken into the God's sanctuary. The Day of Atonement, those sins are taken out of God's sanctuary, out into the wilderness where they die. So Adventists look at that and say, yes, the, the, the Christ's death and resurrection is a complete and full atonement. But what we're recognizing is we're not at home yet. The story of salvation is not over. It didn't end after Jesus died. He woke up and he, you know, in the tomb and he woke everybody else up and we all went to heaven. That's not what happened. So clearly the salvation story isn't over yet. Mm -hmm. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.19, you know, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This reconciliation is this captures this larger aspect of the atonement. Um, but there's no without the cross, without the sacrifice of the Lamb, nothing else would be relevant. That's that's the pivot. Uh, and that's why Ella White would say she made these kind of statements here. He, Christ that is, planted the cross between heaven and earth. And when the father beheld the sacrifice of his son, he bowed before it in recognition of its perfection. It is enough, he said, atonement is complete. Mm. Another place she wrote, no language could convey the rejoicing of heaven or God's expression of satisfaction and delight in his only begotten son as he saw the completion of the atonement. I think George Knight has put it well, Adventist writer, historian, theologian, George Knight. He said, it's good to think of atonement as a line rather than a dot. It's a, it's a pro ongoing process, but there is a dot there, and that dot is the turning point, and that is the cross of Christ. That was the decisive victory of Christ over Satan. That was the death blow to Satan. You read Revelation 12, that's very clear. Um, and only through that could everything else happen. Um, his high priestly ministry has no relevance without the cross. But then if he didn't die on the cross. There's no relevance, you know, there's no relevance for his high priestly ministry. So those two go together. But I think you're so right, Matthew. It's, it's like a process. There, there, there's this completed aspect of the atonement. But then there's this large comprehensive view where God is, is reconciling all things to himself. After all, does that atonement mean at one meant? Mm -hmm. God and Paul brings this out where God is reconciling the entire universe, principalities and powers, everything. But all of that could only be possible by what Christ did on the cross. So, yes, his atonement was complete at the cross. But there's an aspect where the atonement, it, there's a larger aspect of where everything is being reconciled through what Christ did on the cross. 
Yes. I want to add one more quick thing is the like 1952 Bible conference. You have Edward Heppenstall and he's talking about the everlasting covenant. So this is before the whole QOD thing breaks down. So any of this deception kind of thing, this is in house, you know, and it's like, well, we do need to do a better job explaining the atonement. We need to explain the everlasting atonement and that we're almost uh, that this is a part of this same process. Christ's atonement is complete at the cross. And that is uh, what is going on here. And, and so I think that's, that's, first of all, that's really important. The other thing is, is that because there hasn't always been confusion or, or there has been confusion, excuse me, that, that right before Christ comes, there's a preparatory work, you know? Um, and then the question is, is, is that focused on me? That's where the last generation theology perfectionism, or is it focused on Christ? Mm, if yes. Christ's atonement is complete in the cross and it's, it truly is complete, then God's people at the end of time don't have to stress about it. They can trust in the assurance and surrender, mm -hmm. knowing yeah. that God will take them through those end time events. And they, it doesn't have to be that super stressful kind of. Yeah, we can have assurance. And that, that's something that's important for people to understand. There have been some avenues in the past. I, I have some older members of my church who, who, you know, I don't know if I'm good enough. And, and I know there's been some folks who have wrestled with assurance in Adventism that you can be confident in what Christ did and the faith you have in him being enough. And it is. It is. You can have assurance that you are saved when you have faith in Christ today. So even though we're not home yet, even though this hasn't wrapped up yet, you, you, you're saved. And, and this is that tension we find in the New Testament where you're saved but not yet saved, right? You're in God's kingdom, but you're not yet in God's kingdom. We're, we're, we're living in that kind of tension. And the only the extent to which we're already there, we're already saved, we're already in God's kingdom, is is by faith. And Adventists mm -hmm. believe this. And uh, you know, I'll be happy Very to much. talk about this more if Colleen or Nikki wanna wanna reach out. Yeah, you know, what you just mentioned is what scholars call the already not yet, yeah. between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. We already have blessings in Christ. Paul says we in Colossians, we've been transferred into the kingdom. We already have those blessings, but it's not yet fully here in its reality until the second coming. And so we're in this in-between period, but we have all the spiritual blessings we, we, we need in Christ and uh, it's assurance. We have so much assurance and hope and the power of the spirit. And all of this is through what Christ did on the cross. You know, let me just summarize here for Ellen White, the atonement was a process and it involved different phases of Christ's work, of course, with the cross being the center, but it involved incarnation, his sinless life, of course, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, heavenly intercession, second coming, final judgment. All of this is that larger process mm -hmm. of the at one uh, But the pivotal point, the turning point is without question, the cross of Christ. That's right. I hope that this was helpful for folks. Uh, Go ahead. Can I, uh, are you wrapping it up? Yep. I have one more S point I really feel a need to make about the Trinity okay. issue. Okay, go for it. Can I do that? Yep. Uh, because the, the, it was made, a point was made repeatedly that we don't embrace the Christian Orthodox view of the Trinity. Yeah. And I'm going to pull from a uh, book by John Peckham, The Doctrine of God who is a uh, Adventist theologian. But there are four basic points that are the, the essential to Trinitarianism, Orthodox, Biblical, Christian Trinitarianism. And Adventists fit in all of these. And he summarizes this quite well. 
And this is a book not even published by an Adventist press, published by Erdman's. First of all, this is the minimal trini, trinity doctrine, the basic essentials of the, the Trinitarian doctrine. Number one, there is one and only one God, the oneness, unity of God. Adventists espouse that. If you read our fundamental belief, too, very carefully, it's there. And two, there are three united persons of the Trinity, the triunity of God. That's the second characteristic. And three, the three persons are not numerically identical to each other. The Father is not the Son or Spirit. The Son is not the Father or Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father or Son. The distinctness of the three persons. Number four, the three persons are fully divine and thus co-equal and co-eternal. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the full divinity of the persons. You find that in every basic mm -hmm. Christian expression of the Trinity, and Adventists believe that. Yep. We have ta always taught that. So he says the minimal doctrine of the Trinity thus affirms, one, God's oneness, unity, two, God's triunity, three, the distinctness of the three persons, and four, the full divinity of the persons. But there are nuances within evangelicalism. Many different nuances. One of them is this debate between the generation or non-generate, eternal generation of the Son yes, from the Father. Yes. And a lot of evangelical theologians teach that, that while the Son is still fully God, yet he's in a state of eternal generating from the Father. Mm -hmm. A number of evangelicals, and I unite with them, are having trouble with that. Yeah. Because in my view and in what I've read in them their view, this is, while they acknowledge the full deity of Christ, give them credit for that, it is still a subtle subordination of the Son to the Father. Yep. As a Seventh-day Adventist theologian, I cannot accept that. Mm. I do not see that one bit. The Son, John 1.1, 1, 1, we could go on, is eternal. And that's why I like about our fundamental belief, it describes the, the Father, the eternal Father, and the Son, yeah. the eternal Son. Yeah. And the spirit, the eternal spirit, uh, subordinationism. There's none of that. Yeah. Um, it was in some of our pioneers, the semi-Arianism, but that is not the position of the Adventist Church today. Uh, and they and, and Colin or Colin, excuse me, uh, Colleen, Colleen, um, Colleen and Nikki indicated that we even teach tritheism. Yes. You know that tritheism is the heresy. There's three gods, not one. And they said, we are unwilling to recognize that they're one in substance. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Adventist theologians, and I don't have any trouble saying that they're one in substance. It's just, what does that mean? And the close, I think the biblical way to express it is, is the mutual indwelling. Jesus talks about this in the gospel of John. My father and I are one. I'm in my father. My father is in me. The spirit is in me. I'm in the spirit. That's the mutual indwelling. That's the closest biblical expression to the substance, one in essence, one in substance. So Adventists have no problem with saying God is one in substance and essence in that way. Now, there are anti-Trinitarians among us, a small group that are, are want to go back to the pioneers and, and resist that. And it's interesting, uh, Matthew, yes. and I've told you this before, we've got the anti-Trinitarians behind our backs saying we're too... <laughs> To Trinitarian, yeah. and then we got the former Adventists saying we're not Trinitarian enough, yep. so we get hit by both sides. <laughs> but I th we're, you know, I think we're we're with the evangelicals and biblical on this matter, so we reject tritheism, modalism that God is one and yeah. just three manifestations of Him, 
Um, and then subordinationism. Now, again, I know that there are nuances of, of discussion uh, in Adventism on that, but, um, you know, we, you come to the only begotten and so forth, but there's no question in my mind, and, and I can say this now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this, is that Adventist theologians and historians are doing major work on the Trinity. There, there are some major works that are going to be coming out, and it's, it's addressing the anti-Trinitarianism because it's becoming more of a voice and a problem. Mm -hmm. But in addressing that, it's also going to respond to this accusation that we're not Trinitarian enough. Um, in fact, I was just invited by the, the BRI, the Biblical Research Institute, to contribute a chapter to a forthcoming book on the Trinity. Oh, good. I was asked to, to write about Ellen White and the Holy Spirit, and I'm, I'm accepting that for sure. It'd be an honor to be a part of that. But that's just one book among other other materials that will be published dealing with our view on the Trinity. And when people read that, uh, while we don't certainly don't agree with evangelicals on everything, but in terms of those four basic essentials, we fit with the orthodox view of the Trinity. That's right. Yeah. And uh, look, God, that, that God is God and Jesus is God. The spirit is a person in God. And uh, our, our Lord Jesus Christ is fully divine see now look what you did Fully Nikki. look what you guys did you made you made dr lake preach and uh, some, <laughs> yeah i know sorry this, guys. no it, it, so much for that because <laughs> i think it needs it needs to be emphasized this is not just uh uh something we believe on paper this is something seventh-day adventists believe and as you were alluding to there are anti-trinitarian adventists and mm -hmm. and almost mm -hmm. to a person they are a thorn <laughs> in the side of, of each congregation in terms of in, in conference leadership and union division leadership and GC leadership, even they're, they're not, they're not welcome. We're not welcoming that theology. We're not even tolerating that theology in our midst. I can, I can name half a dozen people that I know or know of who have uh, been disfellowshipped. I don't say that with relish, but who have been disfellowshipped for agitating anti-Trinitarian views in Adventist churches and then, like you said, to 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 turn around and listen to a podcast where we're accused of being anti-Trinitarian, I'm, you know, what what planet are we are we living on? You know, I, yeah, I know Nikki yeah. came out of the Adventist Church maybe ten or twelve or thirteen years ago, but Colleen has been out for twenty plus years, as I understand it. Um, even even then, I don't know. I think she's describing a church, well, in, in some ways that never existed, but in other ways, is is from the 1950s. Yeah. I've made that claim before. I, I don't know the church that she's describing most of the time. Yeah. It either doesn't exist or it hasn't existed in a long time. So, you know, you get the impression that, um, you know, the former Adventist campaign against Adventists, it's not only about exposing what Adventists believe is wrong, but it's also almost, I get the impression that they want to keep us from the gospel. They don't want us to have the gospel. If we did have the gospel, and I know they say they want to deliver Adventists and save them and so forth, but if we did have the gospel, that'd be a real problem for them. Yeah. And I believe we do have the gospel, but they, it's hard for them to acknowledge that because if, if we do have the gospel, then they need to radically change their approach to critiquing Adventism or they'll cease to exist. Well, that's, that's a whole nother topic about, <laughs> uh, about people who dedicate quote-unquote ministries 
towards tearing down churches. I, I will say this. This is the last comment I'm going to have, and then uh, and then we can wrap it up. Um, there, there's If you're an Adventist listening to this, you might feel, I hope you feel a little bit encouraged by responding to these claims. But there also needs to be some humility here for us. Because some, some the the way that they that Colleen and Nikki have have treated Adventism, sometimes misrepresenting us, uh, whether willfully or innocently, I don't know. But misrep, you know, the feeling of being misrepresented, the, the feeling that everything we do is wrong, and there's nothing good in Adventism and all this kind of stuff. We need to be humble as Adventists because sometimes we've talked about other churches the same way. I'm not going to name names, yes, but you have. know who they are. Mm-hmm. Where everything that ever happens, I mean, sometimes, okay, I'll name names. Sometimes like the Pope comes out with a statement saying families need to spend more time together and, you know, and, and whatever. We're getting too busy in this modern age. And Adventists will jump on that and say, see, he, this is all part of Sunday laws. Da, 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 da. We just willfully interpret everything as negative all the time. Let's not do unto others as has been done unto us. If you're feeling misunderstood yeah. or misrepresented here by this cultish podcast series on Avenus. Let's not do that to other people. Let's be charitable. Let's be, yeah. let's be charitable and, towards other people. Let's not always assume yes. the worst motives. Self-reflection. Yeah. And let's, let's endeavor to try to understand what other people believe. And I think this is, you, you know, Dr. Like you quoted John Peckham. I don't have access to it. I wish I did. He, he did a Facebook post some time ago where he said uh, that there's an ethical value in before you critique somebody's argument, representing their argument in a way that they would agree with. Oh, hmm. there we go. And, and this is really important. Like when I kind of are trying to restate somebody's argument, I want to restate it in a way that if they read it or heard it, they would say, yes, that accurately describes what I believe. Then go on to critique it. But but we, we got to be careful here not to misrepresent people, build straw mm-hmm. men or straw women arguments, and uh, and then just burn them down. Because that doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the body of Christ um, Seventh Day Adventists are Christians. We are Christians, mm-hmm. and um, Amen. that's all I'm going to say about it. If we you guys have G- questions, we, reach we, out to us. Yeah, we love Jesus. Box. Dialogue. Yep. And Adventism's mm-hmm. at its best when Christ is at the center of it. That's right. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. And well, we certainly don't claim through. to be perfect. Yeah, for sure. And it's been a great journey, kind of going through. We're not going to spend too much more time. I think we're going to move on to other historical topics and Adventist pilgrimage, but. I hope it's given at least enough to show that there's more to the story, the rest of the story, not that it's a complete and final. We don't have the final word even, but we're, we're on a journey ourselves, but we're trying to understand and show that there is at least uh, there's, there's another side or, or more and a deeper kind of look at, at some of these kinds of things. And so we appreciate the time to be able to have Matthew and, and Dr. Lake uh, with us. And uh, Greg, why don't you wrap us up? All right. Well, hey, guys, thanks again. This has been a fantastic discussion. I, I really hope for our listeners this has been a chance for you to, uh, if, if you haven't thought about any of this stuff before or if this is kind of new information, some of these these critiques of Adventism, I hope you give a chance to kind of go through and look as much as you can, not just at what we said, but uh, also at some of the references we made and, and even listen to the, uh, the rest of the episodes from Cultish. The best thing we can do is give ourselves a chance to hear the criticisms fully and, and, and respond as, as faithfully and as uh, honestly as we can. So I want to thank all of the guests, um, Dr. Lake, uh, Matthew, and my co-host Michael for giving us a chance to really dig into this topic a little bit more. And as always, thank you again for listening to Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. We will see you next month.
And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law.